Welcome back to the podcast. This week, Dwayne chats with Mike Sheehy and Joe Garvey, both cloud transformation artists, or a more technical term, architects, about EUC, architecture, and the public cloud. But before we get into it, clear your schedules for May 21 to 23, 2024, when Dot Next will be in Barcelona, Spain. It's going to be a blast. Check out Nutanix.com forward slash next for more information. And I hope to see you there. Now, let's join the conversation. This week, we have Mike Sheehy and Joe Garvey, both field CTOs at Nutanix. We're here to talk architecture. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Dwayne. Thanks, Dwayne. So, uh, obviously, by your title, you're meeting with quite a few customers during the the course of your week. And uh, so we wanted to talk today around EUC and what trends you're seeing in regards to cloud, or maybe that's even, you know, within on-prem and, and what some of the choices that customers have to make in in their designs. So uh, in, in my role, I get to speak with a lot of our, our kind of large customers. And it's pretty interesting to see that, you know, 10 years ago, VDI was the first use case that we solved for our big customers. And now these same customers are coming to us again, trying to figure out how we can help them with their VDI journey to a hybrid cloud. Yeah. What's the push for the hybrid cloud part? Do they, are they wanting to exit the data center or they're just needing uh, a DR plan or they have mergers and acquisitions or what, what's behind the move? I would say it's a combination of all of those things. Um, but look, I think uh, a lot of folks choose DR as the low-hanging fruit, as the first use case to move to Pucks. They believe it's a, a simple thing to move. And usually it, it typically doesn't end up that way. Um, so I'll give you an example. Working with a large enter- uh, enterprise customer here in New England, they had a massive cloud commit. They uh, decided to move their VDI environment to both Azure and AWS, and they realized very quickly how complex that became, right? Because they used Citrix, and then they moved to AVD for Azure, and then they used workspaces in AWS. So managing all that became very complex, and they couldn't move fast. I, they needed some sort of unified model, right, to, to help them uh, see that vision through, right? At least on the Citrix side. In that scenario, was Citrix able to broker all of those connections? Yeah, Citrix was able to broker AWS, Azure, and on-prem as well. They they still have a large footprint in Colo. I I guess that kind of sums up too what I've seen in other things outside of EUC is that just because you're in multiple clouds doesn't mean hybrid multi-cloud. <laughs> There's all the disparity between the different parts. And it's kind of like, I don't know, I always refer to it as like storage from 10 years ago, just another silo. And now you have these separate cloud teams as well, typically, um, unless there's, you know, at least I don't see it too often. It's just usually an AWS team and an Azure team. So as far as problems in, in that customer's environment, or generally speaking, what, what was the the linchpin in in reevaluating? Was you know networking, image management? Yeah, it was, it was all of those things. But you know what helped us obviously was the fact they were already a Nutanix customer, right? And they're already a Citrix user. 
So they understood the experience. They understood how to manage it. And the ability to leverage what they already knew and extend that beyond the data center uh, into the cloud or colo was very, very helpful and allowed them to accelerate that much faster. Now, part, Mike, why did they come back to us and instead of just going headfirst into their cloud commit, were they behind on delivering on timelines? Were they over on their commit? Yeah, so they they had a, a massive cloud commit that where they weren't consuming pretty much anything, right? So I would say, I think it was like 10 months in the cloud commit, they still hadn't moved a single application, right? And because of that, right, that obviously applied pressure uh, from the CX level down, right? Um, you know, why are we, why do we have this money out there that's just wasting away basically? And uh, they needed a solution to actually obviously consume the commits they already, you know, they already were contractually obligated to. Um, and they needed a solution that would move quickly. And so that was the reason why they actually, you know, chose us because we were able to actually accelerate that journey. Um, they were able to use both AWS and Azure and get that same experience, right? I was going with, to ask. In their experience, why did we help them accelerate their path to the cloud versus just consuming something native in the cloud? Well, I mean, if you consume something native in the cloud, you have to understand its its core capability. It's it's a feature, right, or a solution of that single cloud provider, right? So it's not a unified model, right? It's AVD is for Microsoft, and it's their solution. AWS has workspaces. It's their solution. And there's different ways of managing images. There's different ways to deploy it. There's different features within that, different management interfaces, right, and and different cost models. Right. So this this whole uh, complexity of that basically stalled them from actually, you know, from moving forward. They just realized it was just too complex. Plus, they continue to use Citrix in the colo. So now you have three diff disparate, you know, DAS solutions for better, in lack of a better term, right, that they had to manage. So it actually added complexity versus, you know, breakdown complexity. So multiple clouds is not a multi-cloud deployment no no and, and, and you know that story resonates obviously outside of media as well right you, you know customers that are want to be cloud smart you know they want to move to the cloud smartly right they need to look at solutions that layer on top of the substrates that give them the ability to decouple themselves from the lock-in and the core capabilities from a you know foundational uh, aspect of, of cloud native services, right? Where they can actually leverage tools like Terraform, Ansel, Nutanix layered on top of the cloud, right? Data services that can extend beyond just AWS and into Azure and on-prem. So this is, this is really delivering on the, the promise of the unified operating model, right? A single cloud doesn't give you that unified operating model. Was part of their journey also <clears throat> connecting both hyperscalers together? Yes. Yes, that's a it, that's further down the road. We're not quite there yet, but that's definitely a part of their journey because there's definitely uh, requirements around where applications live, right? How applications change, how DR is going to be looked at, right? And they want this mobility. They want this this concept of, okay, at any given time, does this cloud provider provide a better service capability? And if so, how do I move my applications to that 
And then how do I give access to my end users to that? Right. So the, you know, the idea of multi-cloud is that you have this true portability. Uh, now the cloud providers obviously want to keep you locked into their cloud, right? That's why we call a hotel California. That's the inside joke. Um, and they don't want you to leave. So they make it very, very hard for you to actually leave. And so, again, where Nutanix is providing value is really layering on top of these substrates and providing this unified control plane and data plane to be able to actually move workloads between the two seamlessly. As I know our the NC2 licensing is, you know, you can move it from on-prem, like the actual cluster license to the public cloud. Um one thing I'm not sure on that we used to have um, is the there used to be like an EUC ultimate license that was per user. Does that still exist in this world? Yeah, one of the customers that I work with, uh, I think Dwayne, you and I both worked on the project POCing them uh, going to AWS. They were actually able to leverage the VDI licensing for concurrent users. So when they run their users on prem they're able to leverage their concurrent user base. If they have to DR some or all of their users into AWS, they're able to do that uh, using native, you know, change of direction from Nutanix, um, not have to incur or spend any additional licensing on the Nutanix side to bring these users up in AWS. I usually put my head in the sand when it comes to licensing discussions, but it definitely dictates in a lot of discussions even which public cloud you'll you'll end up in <laughs> but usually the my my perspective is just the technical side so that usually always tends to be a bit easier than you know licensing which well you know could a mistake in the licensing will will cost you dearly or just shut the project down altogether and, and, I, and I would just add in real you know quickly you know that's microsoft's play Right. They're currently the operating system of the data center. Right. That's how you have to look at it. And they are leveraging that relationship with their customers to give, you know, give them the leverage, right? Around software licensing and being able to bring them under their umbrella with an Azure. So it's not necessarily EUC specific, but going back to the cloud smart cloud right architecture. If Microsoft licensing dictates that your hybrid cloud solution is on-prem Azure, that doesn't mean Azure has to be your only hyperscaler. But would assume that many of our customers have a mix of Windows and Linux running on-prem and they're looking to potentially decouple that from the data center or the Polo. So if that's the case, NC2 is the you know substrate layer, as Mike said, let Azure be the destination for hybrid or Windows applications or your EUC environments, but then leverage AWS and then make sure that where it makes sense financially, you're running your workloads in the best place possible. Part of the the EUC move, what was the discussion around other apps? Like if the desktops are getting spun out for DR or whatever the use case, what's happening with the rest of the apps that are stuck on-prem? That was the big architectural question I kept asking is, so you're going to move the user who's very used to having their desktop power on, boot, and log in right next to the filer. Now you're going to move them down the road, down the coast, across the country to an AWS region or an Azure 
uh, availability zone, what's going to happen when their application load time has to cross the WAN? And once you explain that and actually get the customer to see it, um, they start to try and evaluate, well, kind of the data gravity part of architecture, where my application is, where my users are, where I'm connecting to becomes very important. And I think that extends kind of to the next phase of the customer's journey, whether it's out of the data center or to a hybrid environment of making sure that my applications and the parts of my application are as close to the data that they're going to need at any given point. Yeah, I think we it's easy to get hung up on the initial problem, but there's just when you're moving desktops, it is kind of the the tier one app, at least that's the way I look at it. If you can't even get to your desktop, you're probably not doing anything, but all of the other connected pieces with it. Yeah, I'm glad you said tier one app because the the way I look at, at EUC, right, depending on the customer. If if they're if a customer's business model is customer service, customer facing, right, delivery of, you know, whether it's customer service or whether it's agents to 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 consumer, things like that, right? That's a tier one application. And, you know, VDI should be treated as such, right? And I think, you know, Joe and I have been we work together in other customers. We there's another customer that we worked at um together. Um, a, a large customer that very well-known brand, right? That when we hit, broke down these conversations around how critical VDI was to them, right? It didn't become this low-hanging fruit like I talked about before. Meaning, I'm going to use VDI as my first, my first, you know, uh, workload or use case to move to the cloud because we we deem it as low-hanging fruit. But the reality is, it wasn't low-hanging fruit. It was a tier one application. That's what it is, right? Because it's critical to that user's business. And it goes back to what you said. I mean. I'm not going to, you know, not going to, not to beat a dead horse here, but where the app lives, where the data lives and is close to the user gives you the best experience, right? It, you know, you, you can't fight physics. It is what it is, right? So that's really how you have to look at things. And, you know, with this large customer I was talking about previously, you know, the reason why they were using both AWS and Azure is they were going to be using some application services in AWS and some application services in Azure. And to kind of follow what Joe talked about, right? They were focus more on the Microsoft-focused applications, course services, right, for Azure due to licensing and obviously the abilities there, right, and the features that they provide. And with the AWS side, it was more open source. It was more cloud native, right? So not, there could be a mix of those, right? And then the question is then how do you deliver, you know, how, how do you have an end user actually talk to both, right? Maybe there's an application they did talk to on both ends, and that becomes another challenge. So this kind of brings up a good point of the the risk associated with evacuating a data center, whether that's a cost or a business decision to get out of the data center. But whatever the application is, the more you look at the dependencies and what these apps connect to, you start to uncover some business risk. And some customers look at EUC or VDI, however you want to call it, as, well, this should be an easy application to move. And that was what Mike was mentioning of that joint customer we worked on about a year ago. They said, well, this is a fairly easy application for us. We should be able to move it very easily. We should be able to move it to Azure virtual desktops. But my familiarity with the customer and Mike's expertise, we started asking very simple questions. And as these questions were answered, they started to assign a lot more risk to trying to simply just 
consume a different desktop service. With NC2, you can mitigate some of that risk because you're not changing the application. You're not creating a new master image. You're not connecting to a new machine catalog. You're consuming Citrix the way you consume Citrix on-prem. You're just consuming it on a different compute platform that looks and feels the same way that your operation team is familiar with from years of using it. Yeah, I was even thinking the other day with a customer that they were running Zen Server and looking to to move, but the Citrix broker itself would actually still, you'd have to convert the image over, but even that would, it would be an easy, from an endpoint perspective, it'd be nothing to change depending on how they were connecting. You would just add the connector to the cluster and and carry on with life. It also, it also gives me flashbacks of spending hours on configuring the desktop image, which I think as I was kind of exiting that point of my life, at least there was lots of tooling that cut out most of the annoying services, but it's Windows 11 now, so they're probably all back and different. Well, it's not just tooling. Each individual customer is going to have any number of post-deployment scripts that today, more than ever, the security team dictates must be run. So yes, the platform team can create a master image, get it uh, optimized, whether it's Citrix or another broker, get a nice quality boot time. But once it has to become production ready and security and audit have their say, now if you're going to do that across multiple images, multiple platforms, the whether it's the operational time or the operational risk simply goes up. It also brings up... Uh... The fact that the ability to deploy into an existing environment and I, especially around the security team, they they don't want to deal with a one-off that they need to kind of go through the whole, you know, security assessment. If they can place something inside of their, their in current environment that's already been, you know, tested, they, you know, it, it reduces some of that risk as well. Now, Mike, what? Uh, sorry, Dwayne. Um, I know you worked very closely with that large financial customer. Were there any performance differences between the native solutions and what they ultimately tested and deployed with NC2? Uh, so the challenge with any, I think, any cloud deployment, right, I think is, and I'm going to answer your question, Joe, but I want to just front end it with this, is typically around networking. Right. And I think, um, look, to say that it, it was like, a, you know, overnight, turn something on and it just worked and everything was hunky dory would, would not be a true statement. Right. There has to be, you know, a methodical approach to how you uncover networking, where the where your users are accessing from. How do they get into the you know, how do they get into the service, the NC2 service? Right. To actually, you know, get the desktop and actually run the desktop. Right. How do they connect? Where are they connecting from? Um, are they connecting through uh, an on-prem solution? Some some customers require that you know their users come in on-prem and then go across, you know, uh, you know whether it's a you know, uh, you know express route or something like that into the cloud, right? And by the way, they're also looking at things like I need to you know send internet traffic out through a Zscaler, or all my internet traffic out through a Zscaler, or I'm going to send all other traffic through Palo Alto, right? So. This customer definitely is using all of these enterprise grade capabilities, right? So I would say there's definitely there's definitely some challenges around that and getting that right. Um, because in the cloud, right, these are appliances. 
right? They're VMs, right? And you have to size them properly and you have to make sure that, um, that, you know, they're tuned. They're running on Azure or AWS native infrastructure, right? So they're relying on that. And so, yes, we, we ran into some, some things around that, right? But working with the cloud providers and our, you know, combination of partnerships, we uncovered some things. We were able to address those issues quickly and they're getting a good experience, right? They're getting the experience that they, that, that they, they, that they needed to have. And we were able to pass, you know, obviously the, the POC phase. Uh, curiously, did they ever look at outside of Nutanix for help with hybrid cloud networking? I know there's some companies that are trying to create that space, but from my my experience, it was just more virtual appliances of a different, you know, of a different management versus if they were already using the virtual appliance from a, a vendor they already had. Yeah, yeah so they, they they did not. They had their own cloud networking team for each cloud provider, right? It goes back to the, Dwayne, I don't know if you said it or Joe, you said it, but it goes back to the, instead of cloud breaking down silos, we're building new ones, right? And so you have AWS and you have Azure, uh, in this particular account, cloud networking folks, right, that are focused solely on that. And they work with the, you know, you know in partnership with, the Microsoft Azure folks and the AWS folks from a networking perspective, right? Um, and that's how they do it. And of course, they have their third-party vendor support, right? So when we had challenges with Zscaler, we had challenges with Palo Alto, they had to bring in uh, support from those vendors, right, to assist with that. So it become when you start using those tools, right, in the cloud, it becomes it starts to become, you know, a multi-prong, you know, support model, right? And it becomes complex. You know, it doesn't doesn't simplify in any way. It gives them the security and the ability and the, the the understanding of what those products do because they use those products on prem, right? It's it's kind of the same story of I want to go with what I know and I know it works on prem, right? But it does add complexity when you actually implement those things in the cloud. Yeah, it's kind of you take the risk on going down a new path or stick with what you know. There's yeah, I guess there's benefits to both. I've my limited experience the way that they went is is what I saw. I just paying for other a palettra of virtual appliances to manage hybrid cloud is like it can be costly if you're paying like in and out charges everywhere, I guess, or egress and ingress. And you can't always stick with what you know. There's a fairly popular a virtual desktop platform that has gone end of life. And with a lot of the customers I'm talking to, they've got very, very, very large cloud commits. Um, numbers that are kind of mind boggling once you um, sit back and think of them. And their initial team is like, well, we can come off of this engineered Basically, I get a dedicated server inside the data center to run my desktop, and now I have to go out of the data center and into the cloud. And, you know, Dwayne and Mike, you mentioned it. When you start asking some questions about, well, where's the application? What is the performance going to be like? What different hops does the traffic go through versus what it was going through coming from, you know, an effective uh, server with GPU on-prem. Customers are 
starting to ask, well, how can Nutanix help? And the, the common operating model that we have, um, while not truly a one-to-one, it's still a, a shared environment, but we can put a, you know, multiple GPUs into an x86 server and get decently populated uh, ratios, as well as taking that. And if they want to, for task workers or kind of lower performance desktops, take them on-prem and send them into the cloud and give them a hybrid environment. That's architectures that we're able to build and have high levels of confidence of being successful. There one that one thing that I was, you know, with dealing with customers that have multiple clouds is if the discussion comes up around picking one cloud as kind of the the hub, and I just like whether it's a a transit VPC from AWS or a VLAN from Microsoft, they do offer some advantages around traffic entering and exiting their their service, which. I think that would be a neat assessment in itself. <laughs> Do you like the uh, with VWAN anyway? There's the option to exit out through a, the closest Microsoft exit, or go like straight from that region out to the internet. And I bet that's a a whole other math equation that probably needs to be taken account of. Yeah, I mean th- this customer again. Go back to the example, right? They use VWAN hub in in azure right and yeah they're you're you're absolutely right it gives them there's a lot of flexibility to vlan hub right um the question then becomes is the it goes back to what i said before it's the interoperability of all these other solutions tying into that right because you're having all these things do routing and security and these things right so the question becomes is do i look at do i set my environment up to to run everything through like an inspection VNet as an example, right? Do I route all traffic through that, through that VNet, that inspection VNet, right? Holds all the tools and things to actually monitor, right? Look at the security layer and then forward the traffic off um, to where it makes sense. I would say one of the challenges that they had, uh, that, or one of the reasons why they chose VUN Hub is obviously the VNet peering problems, right? There's a lot of complexity when it comes to VNet peering. Um, and you know, VWAN hub takes a lot of that away. Right. So, you know, I, I think there's benefits to that, but there's also challenges as well. Right. Uh, I agree. I think VWAN's awesome, but I've never had to pay the bill. So that's <laughs> <laughs> any other things as we kind of get close to wrapping around EUC architecture in the public cloud. I think we, I don't know if we talked about data so much, right. But, but, you know, data is important too. Right. I think, we we get focused maniacally focused on the desktop experience, but if the if the data that the user needs, right, whether it's you know unstructured data like files data, right, you know where they're storing their data, their files data, whether they're getting some sort of desktop experience, you know, you know, given to them through data, right, um, home directories, departmental shares, all these things, right, the data problem becomes important. And it's no different than any other use case, right? Data mobility is also a need and a requirement that we're seeing broadly across customers, not just for VDI, but for other reasons, right? Uh, applications, right? For structured data, database as a service, um, object services, the, the ability to move data between edge data center and cloud and placing that data 
right? In the right location, in the right tier for the right workload. And as AI becomes more prevalent, right, that becomes a much more important conversation because AI is nothing without data, right? It's meaningless without data. It needs to understand the world environment, right, to get anything out of it. So the reality is, is the data problem still exists. And I think Nutanix provides some unique value there as well, not just for EUC, but broadly across the board. Yeah, I would I would agree. Who who owns the data <laughs> owns the answer, right? So, <clears throat> well, if uh, there's nothing else, I'd like to thank both of you for for coming on. Um, always a pleasure to to catch up in the world of EEC, especially uh, when talking uh, around the public cloud. So, thanks, Joe and Mike. Thanks, Dwayne. No problem. Thanks for listening to the Nutanix Community Podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to next.nutanix.com. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week.